am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life, so I may take it back again. No one can take my life. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series we called I Am. In this series, we're taking a look at the eight I Am statements Jesus made in the book of John and discovering what does he mean by this I Am statement, along with what do we do with it today. And as you've seen in our short video clip from the book of John, chapter uh, 10 today, we're looking at the moment Jesus proclaimed I am the good shepherd. Now, the good shepherd is kind of a weird term, right? We, we wouldn't have a clue what a shepherd even is today in the modern-day Western world because there really is nothing in this world that is a shepherd, a person who cares for sheep. And so when Jesus makes the statement, it seems rather just not for us, right? Like, it's just weird, bizarre, not for us today. But in fact, when Jesus makes the statement, there is a lot that we can apply today. And so I want to get right into it today and begin by reading just the very first couple of verses in this passage in John chapter 10, and that is verses 11 through 13. And then we'll begin and uncover what is he talking about here. So verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, since he does, he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away And see, when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. So the hired hand, one that is brought on by the shepherd to maybe take care of him when he's away, uh, maybe when he needs to get some sleep, because, of course, wolves don't, you know, necessarily care about the fact that you need sleep. And so the good shepherd may need to hire somebody. Now, this doesn't mean that the, the, the hired hands or the replacement shepherds are necessarily bad, Right? These could be very good people that have really good intentions, but when it comes to the fact that they are to lay down their life, they're just there for the money, and they're going to run. 
They may shoo him off and they may try to, to, you know, distract him, whatever it might be. But in the end, if that wolf is on top of them, they are running, right? Like the moment they realize that their life is on the line, they're, they're out of dodge. Now, these could be very good people. And, and when we bring it to us in our modern society, and really what Jesus was talking about in this passage, we're talking about wolves, not necessarily in the real sense, right, real wolves, but more like a symbolic wolf. And so the shepherd is, of course, Jesus. He's referring to himself as the shepherd. And those hired hands could be people who look over you, mentor you. Could be family members. It could be spiritual leaders. It could be friends. It could be a pastor. It could be uh, so many different people, right? Good intentioned people who want the best for you. And they would even potentially lay down their life for you because they love you that much. But really, in the end, they, they will never be Jesus. They will never go to the point where they can lay their life down on the line for you to make a way between you and your eternal home with the Father. Right? They, they, they can't do that because they're not capable. They're not Jesus himself. They're not God. And so as amazing as these people are, only Jesus can truly match the good shepherd, Jesus. He gave his life to protect his own. Now, what are the wolves here? Many people, you know, immediately jump to uh, the enemy of our soul, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. But I think that there are many different wolves in our world. It's so easy to be flippant and to say, ah, it's the enemy, right? It, it's, it's the devil. It's Satan. And just move on in life and just kind of deal with it. Yeah, it's not that easy. Because the shepherd of our soul wants to protect us. He laid down his life for us so that we could have, as we talked about last week, abundant life. And it's for us to claim. But we must claim it. We must accept that gift of abundant life. We must accept the protection that the good shepherd gives us. And if we're just kind of putting it off to the side and saying, yeah, he'll protect us. We haven't received it. We haven't allowed it to actually be, if you want to call it, actuated into our lives, become real in our lives. And so we must dig in what are these wolves that are against us? What wants to attack us besides Satan? Or maybe what does Satan use is another way of looking at it if you want to take a different spin. So what does Satan want to use? What, what tools are in his, his toolbox to come against you? Well, believe it or not, he will use yourself. So often, these things that happen within us are tools he uses to tear us apart. Just like a wolf likes to, to isolate its prey and get it off to the side. I mean, all predators do this, right? Like, like they know that if they can get it away from the pack or away from, from the people, it can take you down. The enemy uses all of these things that are inside of us, that, that are broken from either 
our childhood being developed or experiences in life or things that have just happened that have just let us down and we're just beat up. He uses all these wrong things that have happened to us and the, the thinking that has been brought upon because of it against us. God wants to free you of that. He wants to break those chains that the enemy has put. And so the wolves in our life can be ourselves. And I can go on and on about all different things that can come up inside of us. But he also uses others. He uses situations that maybe have not been good to attack us. And so these wolves are out there to take us down. But as much as these outward or inward attacks are against us, our shepherd is here protect us are you facing challenges uh, are you are you trying to work through things inside of yourself or in relationships or or in your work situation or school situation that are really tough god cares for you he wants to protect you he wants to watch over you but you must lay claim to that you must take it accept it He's here for you. He's here for you. Now, Jesus makes two more claims. In fact, we're going to cover three of them. But there's two claims that, I, that are put into really one statement that I want to break apart. And this is just after what we read. Where he says, I know my own. And my own know me. I know my own. Did my own know me? So let's just begin with, I know my own. This has to be one of the most powerful statements that we so, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here, but we, we really don't fully grasp it. The, the fact that God fully knows us. It can be so life-giving, freeing. That God would know you so well. He knows everything about you. But yet, he still wants to have a relationship with you. Like, we don't even fully know ourselves, right? Like, we're constantly finding things out about ourselves as we, if we're truly wanting to become free in our mind, in our emotions, in our past, in our, our physical elements of our life. Like, all of these different pieces of the puzzle that make up you you and me me like the more we dig in the older you get the more you realize all the depths and the layers that you just continue to unfold but yet god the moment he created you he knew everything about you your thoughts that you would ever think the life the choices you would ever make the day you would pass away and be in his presence like he knows it all in fact, we, we read this, in case you don't believe me. We read this in Psalm 139, one of just the most beautiful passages in the Old Testament. That I just want to read all 18 verses all together. It's not all of Psalm 139, mind you, but it's majority of it. And I just want you to listen. Maybe close your eyes and let it just sink into your soul and, and reflect all these statements that God makes about you. 
We read in verse 1 of Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. The wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the depths of the sea, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even There, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones are not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you powerful god knows everything as i said before everything about you everything now he's not forcing you to do anything he just knows so well what you will do that it's as if he created you and and made you do this but it's not that way when we talk about predestination i won't get off on this rabbit trail so many people think that god has just like wound you up and set you down and said this is the way you will go when in fact no he is just that all-knowing that he knows what your free choice is where it will lead you and what it will be that you will do and say and think and all the decisions and all the thoughts and all the the discussions inside of your head he knows them all he created you He knows you, and he wants to be with you. You are unique. You are one of a kind. And God loves you right where you are. But as Max Lucado says, as much as God loves you the way you are, he refuses to lead you that way. And as the Proverbs says in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. Don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. See, as much as you have been made in God's image, as much as he knows every little thing about you, and created you unique and has placed you right where you are, and he loves you right where you are, we have lived in a world where the moment sin was entered in, we, out of our free choice, choose to go a separate way. And so God spends the rest of our lives individually working and correcting and molding us to reflect His glory, to become more like Him, to refine us. God knows you. 
and he's working things out in your life for good, for his purposes. So God protects you, protects you from the wolves if you receive it. He knows you. And lastly, he zealously desires for you and me to know him. See, you've asked Jesus to forgive you of the wrongs you've done, of that sin that you've chosen. If you've made him the leader of your life, then we have been given access to know him. To know him as fully as he's made himself revealed. And every day, he reveals a little bit more of himself to us. Every day. Because he laid his life down as a sacrifice. And because he was able, out of his perfect life, to raise up and conquer grave, conquer sin, conquer death. Eternal death. John 17, verses 23 through 26. We read from the Passion Translation. I love this version. And sometimes it just changes the way the, the wording is and then how it impacts us. But this is Jesus talking to the Father. And he says, you live fully in me now. And now I fully live in them. That's talking about us, his followers. So that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you sent me. Right? Our purpose in this life is to reveal God through Jesus. And what Jesus has done for us. So that we can have a right relationship with the Father. So that is us. For they will see that you love each one of them. With the same passionate love that you have for me. Father. I ask that you allow everyone that you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my full glory. You can know him with, in his fullness of glory. The very splendor you have placed upon me because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. You are the righteous father. But the unbelieving world has never known you in this perfect way that I know you. And all those who believe in me also know that you have sent me. I have revealed to them who you are. And I will continue to make you even more real to them. So that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. That's just so profound. Every day we can be a little bit more closer to God. The presence of him can be more real. It can be more, more, more empowering to us. We can see the fullness of his glory because that is, that is Jesus' heart for us. That you would know him so fully that you could see his glory. I think back to Moses when he was on the mountain with God and when he saw the glory of God, he came down to the Israelites and his face was shining so bright that they couldn't even look at him. Like, we can have that access because of Jesus. And that's what Jesus was praying here, that we could so fully see and experience the glory of God through him. We can have that connection. We can see the Father face 
to face. You can have that. You can have that today. You just have to receive that gift. Receive the gift of salvation. Receive the gift of of his protection. Receive the gift of knowing him and him knowing you. And then Jesus says one last thing. He said that he was waiting so that all who would come to him would know him. And then he puts this simple statement in at the end, that they will listen to his voice. We have a part to do in this. Not just to believe and have faith and receive the gift, but that we will in turn listen and obey his voice. And so often, people get caught up with this. And they're like, see, 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 see? God's all about like putting all of these things and parameters around so that he can just beat us up and make us feel like garbage. It's not true. As First John 5, 3 puts it, this, this is beautiful. Hear this. Loving God means keeping his commandments, obeying, listening to him, as Jesus said. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. The enemy wants you to believe, right? The wolves want you to believe that his commands are burdensome. That they are just out to beat you up and to make you feel like garbage and to to put the standard up that you cannot meet on our own. No, we can't. But with God revealing himself to us, filling us with his Holy Spirit and us pressing into that and desiring him out of a loving heart, saying, God, I want more of you. I can't do this. I just want to be in your presence. I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to obey your commands. When you have that heart, his commandments are not burdensome. They're freeing. Why? Because they're for our good. And when we spend time with him and we seek him, we read his word, we let him speak to our hearts, what does he do? What does he do? He molds our desires. He molds our minds. He molds our actions to be like his. And they're freeing. They're for our good. They're setting us up for success. For success that matters. For success that gives us peace, that gives us joy, that gives us hope, that gives us purpose and identity. It's not to beat us up. It's for our good. In Acts 5, 27 through 29, we see a great example of being obedient to God over what is easy. And this is the, the disciples, right? This is the, 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 giant, the John and the, and the Peter. And when they brought them before the council, the high priest demanded an explanation, saying, didn't we strictly warn you that you are to never teach in his name? Right? Maybe it's not that explicit today, but we have this, this, this sense and this pressure that, that we, we have to, to do things a certain way. We have to be busy. We have to be running. We have to do all the things. 
But instead, you have now filled all Jerusalem with this doctrine and are now committed to holding us responsible for this man's death. Peter and the apostles replied, we must listen to God and obey him more than pleasing the religious leaders. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, the apostles chose to be obedient in face of death. Obedience isn't us doing necessarily burdensome things. We have a purpose. We have an identity. And we will do anything because of what Jesus has done for us. Given us hope. Given us identity. Given us purpose. Given us peace. Given us joy. Things that the world will never give us. Jesus has. He knows us. He's protecting us. He wants us to know him and to follow him out of a love and appreciation. I love how D.L. Moody kind of just summarizes this well for us. He says, give your life to God. He can do more with it than we can. That's just so simple and so beautiful. And as we come to a close today, I just want you to be encouraged. When Jesus says he's the good shepherd, he is. A shepherd watches over his sheep. A shepherd will give his life. A shepherd fully knows his sheep. He knows you fully. And he wants you to know him to the fullest. And he will give you purpose as you step forward and say, I will do whatever because you've given me all of this. Things that I've tried to fill with with things in this world, whether it's a job, whether it's education, whether it's relationships, whether it's substances, whatever. He gives you what you can't find in this world. Will you give him your life? Father, I pray that every person listening today would stop looking to this world for all of the answers and come running to the shepherd, the shepherd of their soul, who is way more than good. He is awesome. He is infinitely awesome. Who knows us so well and desires us to know him well. God, I pray that each person listening today will come to a place where they will freely open their hands to you and say yes to following you. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Nexus Church family, for joining us today. And next week, I am so excited to tackle a fairly deep, heavy conversation about what Jesus proclaims he is. And I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger to find out what that is next week when we talk to you then.